This is the 10-Minute Contrarian Podcast. This is VP. We are a solutions-based podcast, diving into the world of contrarian investing and alternative finance. You can find us hosted on the No Nonsense Forex YouTube channel, nononsenseforex.com, and podcast players everywhere. Episode 117 is brought to us by Bybit. Traders, you know the deal. It's chaos theory. Chaos into order and then back again. Uh, things are very orderly. Volatility is very low. We know that is not going to last. And some of you, I'm watching the metrics, are trading through this volatility. So good on you. But when the chaos comes back, you are going to want to take advantage. You are going to want to be ready. And you are going to want to know exactly how to use your platform. So sign up now to Bybit. And the way you do that is by going down below to the description, to the show notes, clicking on the link to the blog. That's going to give you all the relevant information you need. That's going to give you my affiliate link. That's going to make you eligible for the cash back program and any promotion coming down the way. And as we know by now, Bybit has many of them. But do it now. Get yourself ahead of the game and realize that membership does have its rewards. It is the 10-Minute Contrarian Podcast, and you've seen the, the title of the episode by now. And uh, understand this is not uh, a trading episode. We don't, we don't do that on the 10-Minute Contrarian Podcast. This is all about hedging. Fans of the show know, and actually really people that just watch some of my YouTube videos also know that I hold a basket of foreign currencies apart from the United States dollar. Not because I'm like super duper bullish on them. Um, I'm more bullish on the United States dollar than anything. You guys know that. But uh, I also know that I could be wrong. And if I am wrong, what would be the next currencies in line that I would like to hold? You know, again, we're not really looking for gains here. We're just looking to not lose our ass. This is more of a defensive play than anything. And this is why I think this strategy overall is fairly unpopular, even amongst the contrarians out there. This is probably, you know, last on your list as far as places to move your money. Um, and I get it. You know, it's it's boring. It's a bit tedious. You know, towards the end of the episode, we'll talk about ways you can uh, you can make this happen. But you know we're all about diversification here. And... When it comes to your fiat, if all of your fiat is priced in one currency, then how diversified are you really? You need to spread yourself out. It doesn't cost very much, and you could always move it back whenever you want. You know, we're trying to make ourselves as bulletproof and as anti-fragile as possible on this show. And having all of your fiat in one currency ain't it. You know, I love the peace of mind that comes with knowing that no matter what crashes, and you know, this, this decade is pretty obvious, things are going to crash if they haven't already, that I'm going to be fine. I've worked way too hard to get to where I am to allow, you know, some external event to take a huge chunk out of my bank account, simply because I was being complacent or flippant or lazy. You know, and I'm willing to put in the work to do it. I've already done a lot of that, you guys know. You know, I've, I've spread myself out far more than, than most people have. But again, you know, I also host a, a contrarian investing podcast where we do financial prepping here, and I'd like to lead by example. So I hope uh, the majority of you out there are, do take this very seriously and understand the importance of something like this, even if it means the overall value of your fiat might go down a little bit. At least you're protected. So if you don't remember my old USD videos, or um, I don't know if we've talked about this on the show or not, but the current basket I have apart from United States dollar is Russian ruble, Chinese yuan, Singapore dollar, and Kiwi dollar. Now, Russian ruble and Chinese yuan were things I've had for years. Uh, it was a bit easier to obtain these things than it would be now, especially for, uh, especially for Americans and Canadians probably. 
uh, and rubles especially now, you know, it, it's a it's a Hotel California type situation. You might be able to buy them, but selling them is going to be very, very difficult. So uh, not impossible, but maybe something you don't really want to get into. Uh, but what I plan on doing is cashing in about half of my Chinese yuan and then using the other half with United States dollars to purchase Australian dollars. Now, does this mean I'm giving up on China? No, I'm not. Even though I do <laughs> expect an overall uh, collapse in China, uh, they still do a lot of things right. They prepare very well, and they have so many things that the world still needs. And unless anybody's going to go in and take that country over, this is always going to be the case, and I like that. And that's going to be kind of a running theme of episode 117. And plus, when it comes down to it, uh, Aussie dollars, and yes, I'm going to say Aussie because I'm an American and we pronounce things wrong because we're ignorant, suck it, are just more transactable and easy to, to maneuver than Chinese yuan is, especially right now. Uh, so if you don't have any rubles or yuan, that's fine. Not financial advice, but it might be a good idea to also have Singapore dollars, Kiwi dollars, and Aussie dollars. Uh, now, I've spoken uh, at length before about the other four currencies there. Let's go ahead and talk about the Australian dollar. Why do I like it so much going forward? Uh, well, there's a lot to like. You know, some people might come in and say, well, they were really authoritative with their people during the pandemic and all this. Uh, guys, this is an investing podcast that has nothing to do <laughs> with why I like it or why I wouldn't like it. You know, I explained before in the very first USD video I did on YouTube, you know, about 2018, 2019, um, that the balance of power is going to shift east. And it has. I'm still very, very bullish on the United States going forward. But that doesn't mean the East isn't going to get stronger. It already has. Well, VP, if something gets stronger, something else also has to get weaker. Oh, yeah. Uh, what's going to get weaker in times of a crisis, especially when it comes to energy? Uh, most poor countries. And in my opinion, the European Union. You know, there's a reason why they're pushing this climate change narrative so hard. because they are very resource poor. You know, if you ever sit back and wonder why they're going harder on this than anybody else is, you know, there's your answer. It's not because we're all going to die if they don't do it. You know, the reason's obvious. Anyway, on top of all this, you already have the end of globalization as well. It used to be easy just to get anything you lacked from a different country, and much of that is going away. And this is really a problem, because as we've said in the past, energy is life. And if you have a country that all of a sudden has less energy than they did before, then that's really going to be a problem. And this is going to happen to a lot of countries. Now, what happens with those countries when they have less energy than they did before? Uh, it's not just production and everything goes down. No, bad things happen. You know, they get desperate. You're going to see more war. You know, you're going to see more government upheavals. And, you know, governments don't like that, obviously. <laughs> they don't really want to go to war. They don't want to get overthrown. So they're going to do whatever they can to have very good relationships with countries who are very resource rich. One of those countries just happens to be Australia, and in a big way. Australia is just in such a perfect position. They have great relationships with everybody. You know, not so much China anymore, but they still trade. Uh, they're very hard to invade and take over because of their geography. Uh, and even if somebody did, uh, you know, they're responsible for supplying so many people with minerals that they would almost certainly come to their defense, including the United States. You know, Australia is a net exporter of a lot of things. Uh, why is that? Well, because they have a lot 
but they don't have a huge population to serve. I think it's about what, 26 million people right now, you know, and they're competing with China in a lot of these things. Problem is China has 1.4 billion people to serve, and they don't like giving away their minerals for obvious reasons. But Australia can do it at will, and this is going to make them very popular and very useful in good times and in bad times. Now, one thing Australia does import, for the most part, is oil. But they're getting a lot of that from places like India and Singapore, you know, nations that have always been very friendly towards them. You know, it'd be a little problematic if they were getting it from China or the Middle East. Uh, but they have a nice little pipeline, pardon the pun, you know, with countries who typically aren't pricks about their oil. Now, what does Australia have to give? So I jotted it down. Let's take a look. They are number one leading producer in bauxite which is where aluminum comes from. Number one in lithium, which is going to be a big deal, no matter how you slice it. And number one in coal, which we just talked about not long ago. They're also top five in most of your base metals, nickel, zinc, lead, things like that. Um, number three in uranium and number two in gold. You know, next to the United States and China, I cannot think of another country with such a, a geographical and geological advantage, um, yet they don't have any of the issues that China's facing. And they've also done a really great job not making enemies. You know, everybody's trying to find the next Switzerland or, you know, in more modern parlance, you know, the next Singapore. What do those two countries have in common? <laughs> they have always been very neutral. You know, unless you produce a lot of military machines, you know, wars are generally really bad for your economy. And, and simply staying out of them is very profitable long term. So I'm bullish on Australia overall, but I'm not going to be looking for any uh, Australian ETFs or anything like that until probably after this whole thing washes out, if it does come. So what, the way I'm going to play it is by putting my money into their currency and just simply using it for protection. Because the number one criteria I'm looking for here is something that's not going to go down a lot. I'm not looking for alpha here. I'm looking for protection. And I think given everything I've told you so far, is that the AUD is a good way to go here. So welcome to the VP basket of currencies, Aussie dollar. Now again, how can you participate in something like this? Now, um, I can't really speak for other countries of how easy or difficult it is. I know in the United States, it's not super easy because most of us just don't do it. You know, demand's not really there. But as we've spoken about before, if you have offshore banks, they will typically be a lot more flexible with this and give you a lot more options. And uh, feel free to shop around before you choose one. Um, I think it's, it's a great advantage to have this. Um, I have one bank in particular that can pretty much hold any of the eight major currencies, and that's great. Now, after I cash in some of my yuan, this is going to be the method I choose. Now, again, not everybody's going to have this option, but we've spoken before. You know, this is where fintech comes in. A lot of fintech options out there like Wise, Revolut, and a bunch of other startups that allow you to do this. Um, if you want to do it on the digital side, Uphold, again, Uphold's doing a lot of great things. I'm, I'm, I think the very next blog I'm writing is going to include them uh, because even though that interface is so goofy, damn it, they just keep doing things right. You can hold a ton of different fiat currencies in your Uphold wallet. Uh, you know, not financial advice. You will have to keep your money on that exchange. Uh, but then again, one counterpoint to that is with, with, with the big exchanges out there, the large ones, 
How many people have gotten wrecked by keeping their money on the exchange? FTX is the only one I can really think of as far as the large ones go. And there was plenty of smoke before there was fire. You had plenty of time to get your money out of there. So I'm not one of those people who's super bearish on keeping your money on the exchanges. I typically don't do it myself, but I would if I had to. You know, we did a whole episode on Arweave, and unless you're going to download their native wallet, you know, keeping it on the exchange right now, to my knowledge, is still the only other way to do that. Uh, but my point is you have options, and you yourself can weigh out which ones are risky and which ones aren't. Uh, but for the sake of transparency of me telling you what I'm doing with my own money, I thought I would share this with you and provide my reasons why. Now, holding things like Bitcoin and gold is a lot more commonplace than what I'm proposing here with holding a basket of different currencies, especially if you're from a country where your currency has generally been fine your entire life. So yeah, maybe even in contrarian land, this whole concept seems a bit crazy, but that's fine. The peace of mind is worth it. So don't think you're crazy. You're just early. <laughs> 